You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Jory Jacobs on the show. Jory is a hospice program director at Collaborate Care, which is the hospice that my brother Tomas was enrolled in here in the Napa Valley. Welcome, Jory. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And the reason I wanted to chat with you today was that the first time I met you, you used the phrase, this work is my passion. And I just, you know, I perk up when I hear that phrase, but this is such a unique situation because you're dealing with hospice, which is a very tough stage for many families and patients, but it can also be really special and beautiful as well. So I just wanted you to start with telling us what your role is and why you find it your passion or calling. Sure. Well, I've been in the healthcare field for about 30 years. Um, didn't go to nursing school until I was a little bit older. So you don't have to figure out my age, but um, <laughs> I um, I was in home health for many years, and my father um, had Alzheimer's and ended up needing hospice um, in his life. And he was a beautiful, kind, gentle, wonderful man. Um, and I we we got hospice to help him out and to help us out. And I didn't realize at that time all that hospice could do and what it really meant. I was familiar with home health where I knew exactly what we did, but hospice is an amazing service. Um, hospice allows you to remain with your family, um, to remain comfortable with your family and have some very, very special times, celebrations, laughter, tears as you go through the dying process. And there's no limit for that. That could be two months it could be a week it could be six years there's no limit to how long that might last and but, that actually goes right into it's a perfect segue because I was gonna ask you about um you've kind of defined what hospice is just now mm-hmm. um what is that you know hospice versus palliative care because that's a term that people hear and I think along with hospice it's also a term that they don't understand correct um, palliative care is pretty new in healthcare, um, but palliative means comfort. So it's it, it's a term that I wish we had a better word for it. Hmm. But palliative care, a patient can go on palliative care if they have a disease process that, like CHF or COPD or cancer, that they know eventually is going to be the cause for their death. That's what's going to end their life. Mm-hmm. But on palliative care, they can still receive treatments, chemo, radiation, whatever they're trying to um, attack the cancer or, you know, hold back the, the process. So mm-hmm. um, the, the patient receives in our agency um, an assessment by our doctor, our medical director, who is certified in palliative and hospice care and has been in the field for 20 years and is mm-hmm. just wonderful. So he goes to the patient's home and does an assessment to determine eligibility and appropriateness for palliative care and to just get a baseline from the, from the patient where they are today. 
then our nurses follow up and our social workers follow up and they see the patients anywhere from once a week to once a month to six times a week, depending on what might be happening with the patient. And it's really just, it's a, it's a relationship between that includes the physician, patient family, and then we're sort of in the middle. So, so that, that actually leads into my next question is, so what is the, the defining um, order between palliative care and hospice? At what point does a patient go from palliative to hospice? Um, you go to palliative to hospice when the patient and family have decided that they want to forego treatment. They don't want to have to go to the hospital again for another admission they want to be comfortable and in their life in the surrounding surrounded by their family and friends um, without pain and that can go on for a long time there are proven um, records that patients actually have a longer length of stay when on hospice than if they were not receiving hospice Mm -hmm. so it's that's when we determine that it's time to move on to hospice and so you have to have a doctor a written referral, right? Right. You only have so at that months. point, call their physician and say, you know, I'd like to find out more about hospice care, or they can call us and we can call their physician. So you can call any hospice at all. And, and people, sh- every single person in the world should receive hospice care when it's time. And as long as they're receiving it from a good quality hospice, then I don't care who the hospice is. I just I am passionate about this, that. The end of life is so much kinder, gentler if we get that care when we need it. And I think that's one of the toughest parts, right, is that people don't know when to call. Right. They're still hanging on for another treatment or hope for this, hope for that, when really it might be time to call it and and bring in comfort measures and let the, the poor patient relax and exactly rest. And so I guess, what do you think, you know, what is the appropriate time? Is it just, is this a discussion that you have with your doctor? It's just a difficult discussion. Period. You know, it starts with advanced directives mm-hmm. and um, that, I mean, all of us should have advanced directives, whether we're 18 or 83, um, because then the, the trying to figure out if it's time or not kind of goes away. Right. Because you've made very clear what you want to happen when you reach a certain point. So that starts a discussion with your family. So everybody's not caught off guard like, oh, my gosh, now what do we do with grandma? You know, right. we don't know what she wants. Right. And then it's a conversation with um, call a hospice, any hospice, call your physician, anyone. They don't have to know if it's time. We'll help you figure that out. And what do you think? I mean, I really think part of the stigma with hospice is people think it's just, you know, it's a morphine drip and a priest. They don't realize that it's actually a way of life, you know? Yes. And that's so unfortunate because in order to get the whole service that hospice can offer you, a free service, it's absolutely free. Medicare pays for it. All insurance, almost all insurance companies pay it in full. And if not, at least at Calabria, we provide free service for those who don't have insurance. But it's it's a it's a life. It's a way to live your life. It's right. not the last two days. You're not going to get anything special because all you're going to be doing is filling out paperwork and learning about hospice. And that's not what you want to do in the last two days of your life. So, so you, earlier you think, is better. Yeah. So I was going to say, actually, do you think that the hardest part of even wanting to reach reach for the phone and call a hospice or have this conversation with your doctor. Do you think the hardest part for people is it 
emotionally coming to grips with what's happening? Is it financially? They're just not informed about yes. what, what can happen. Um, what do you think is the most difficult part of this for people? The difficult part is oftentimes is getting the whole family to agree. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes there's one family member that just says, oh, no, you need to fight for every fight every single day of your life. Right. Um, so it's often one. But we also can help patients and families with that. We'd love to go out and do a consult and there's nothing. No, they don't have to sign up. Nothing like that. We just mm-hmm. educate. And oftentimes that helps. Okay. And, and and then also just like the emotional part of end of life, you know, what resources do you recommend for people? Again, coming to grips with this very difficult subject. I mean, I, I had a really hard time with it, seeing my mm-hmm. brother declining and, you know, I just sucked up research. I just read everything I could, got my hands on whatever I could to talk about this. And it was just really hard for me to even grasp that he was declining, but it was just happening so fast right in front of my eyes. And, you know, but I'm also open enough to want to talk about this with people. So, you know, really brave of you and you're doing a huge service um, because it is, you lose all power. You have no power left and you're really, you're, you're saying, I don't want my brother to, to be in this pain. Right. I want to be comfortable and I want to be able to talk to him. Right. And, you know, when they're going through treatment after treatment and they're sick and they're losing weight and they can't eat and they're mm-hmm. miserable. And right. that's not the way I want to live the last part of my life for sure. Right. But that's there right. are a multitude of resources out there. Um, the being mortal, the video is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it really brings it home that that death doesn't have to be a horrible thing. Right you come into life and you leave life and each can be very, very special. Right. Definitely. Yes. And, um, and would you recommend that the family, you know, go to a support group or therapists? Like what are, what do you think is the best route? We have so many, we have so many, um, possible available resources and groups and I'll talk about some of them, but, um, palliative care is often the solution to not wanting to discuss that hospice quite yet. Mm-hmm. So if the patient is, you know, I'm not ready for a hospice because that means I'm going to die, which mm-hmm. is not true, but uh, palliative care helps because we kind of were able to educate and keep them comfortable and discuss hospice while they're still receiving um, curative treatment, which is just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you know, once the curative treatment were, if it works great, then we graduate them from palliative care and they go on with their life. And that's a celebration. If it doesn't work, then we are right there with continuity to help them make the step over into hospice. Now, also, there's also a, I think a preconception that hospice is in, you know, it's like an assisted nursing facility and that's yeah, there not are- necessarily the case, right? Right. There are inpatient hospice houses, which are wonderful places. I ran one in Atlanta for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, they're wonderful places for people that don't have a caregiver or the caregiver is not able to care for them. You know, a lot of our elderly patients have elderly spouses. Mm-hmm. And with children moving across the country, there's nobody to take care of them. So right. that's a perfect solution. But all of our hospice services and most hospice services are provided in the home. So we come to the patient wherever the patient lives. Got it. Um, and if, but if they want that next step, they'd have to go to find another facility that provides it, basically. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. 
And I know we, we already talked about medical directives. Um, I mean, how really, how early do you think people should be starting their end of life planning and, you know, the day you turn 18, really? That's Seriously. The, yeah. You know, young people die in car accidents right. and then the poor parents that are absolutely grieving for this young life are having to make a decision mm-hmm. about whether to leave the tube in, do tube feedings, do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think 18. Do you think, and again, this is, you know, death is the reason we're having this discussion right now is I believe, you know, people don't want to talk about death. They find it hard. They find it taboo when, as you said, it's a natural part of our existence, just like birth and life. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to accept it and discuss it. So do you think having a discussion with an 18 year old, do you think that's going to be tough for them since they've probably never really had these discussions before or? You know, honestly, probably not, because at 18, you think you're never going to die. Right. Um, And, you know, hopefully it never has to be used. But I think it's I think it's a good thing to do, because the more we talk about death and the preparing for death and having a good death, Mm -hmm. the more acceptable it is. And then it won't be that taboo word. It's just part of life. Right. I'm sure you've probably been there for several transformations of people as they come to the end. Uh, What have you noticed that's been just, you know, the transformation and the transition? Is it, I found that my brother's transformation was just so beautiful, actually. It was very serene. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you, what are the observations that you find? So you're talking about at the end of life? Yeah. Okay. Um, There's a whole gamut. And I so wish that we could tell you each patient, you know, well, this is how it's going to end for you. Right. Um, Oftentimes it's very peaceful. They just don't wake up. Right. You know, as you move towards the, the death process, your your systems start to shut down. You stop eating. It does. You know, you don't you aren't hungry. You just mm-hmm. don't want to eat. You sleep more. You know, you're much weaker. Can't probably get out of bed t- towards the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the patient just goes to sleep. Now, sometimes there's kind of a a loud breathing that bothers the family Uh very much because Uh it looks like the patient is in pain, but they're not, they really, they are not in pain, but it's difficult to watch. Uh And we try to prepare families for what death could look like, Uh because if you know that it's coming and if you know what to expect, it's not so frightening. Right. And a lot of what hospice care does in the home through um, through our social workers, our nurses, our pest, our chaplains, our home health aides is educate about what it's going to look like and how to make it comfortable for everyone. Now, that that makes sense, because really, it's just I think the hardest part for me is no matter how much you prepare for it, you still feel this helplessness because their body is shutting down and it's it's kind of doing what it wants to do. Right. It wants to rest. Right. And all you want to do is help. You want to be, you know, be of use and nothing will help it at this point. You know, you just know you have to let the processes just happen as they will, you know, and it's, yes. it's hard but, to sit there and watch it, you know. But what makes it comfortable for families is to be near that patient, mm-hmm. to touch the patient, hold their hands. Your hearing is the last thing to go. So keep talking, singing. Um, you know, we have a choir that will go out, a small choir that will go out and sing for mm-hmm. people if, if music is something important to them, play their favorite music. 
um, there's, there's so many things you can do to make it more peaceful. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I did is I put on his favorite band, Pearl Jam and acoustic, of course. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> gave him a little foot massage and I could tell he was still with me because he was wiggling his feet, his toes. Yes. And you I, know, it's whoa, funny. You know? It's funny, Michelle, foot massages do something. Do they? We have a nurse that massages all of his patients' feet. Huh. And it's just a very comforting thing. We've also um, hired a, a massage therapist. Okay. So that patients and families who are going through this sometimes horrific event, you know, accepting that you are powerless, um, massage therapy helps a lot. Yeah. So that's something that we're really pushing. And a service that my brother loved because he was actually a master himself was Reiki. Yes, we do Reiki as well. And yeah. I, I was just introduced to that this year and it is phenomenal. I can't believe, I can't believe it. Yeah, it was, it's it amazing. was wonderful that he got to keep doing that and practicing mm -hmm. that while he was in the state. So that, I bet that really helped him. That was a gift for sure. Yes. And speaking of that whole metaphysical universe, you know, I, I'm always curious about people's visions, especially in this line of work. What is your vision of the afterlife? You know, what do you think happens to us with all that you've seen and been through? I, I think peace. Peace yeah. would be the word I'd give it. And that's what you see in a patient's face as they're taking their last breath. You can see it. Mm -hmm. It's peace. Yeah. And I don't know what the afterlife looks like. I don't know if it's a place or a feeling, but I know whatever it is. It's peace and tranquility and acceptance. Right. That's exactly the feeling that I got from seeing my brother transition. It was really, it was so much more beautiful than I thought. I was just like, wow. Well, and so can't many. Be that bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. So many patients. And this, I, I don't have a number for you, but a vast majority of patients who are very close to dying start talking to people who are already dead. And they right. seriously will have a conversation with their mother, mm -hmm. um, kind of a hallucination, but with their mother or whoever. Mm -hmm. So it happens too frequently not to believe that there's something out there. Now, my brother completely thought that my mom and dad were still alive. And he right. like put us put them actively in our lives, you know. Isn't that beautiful? It was really, I mean, first I was jealous because it's like, right. you get to talk to them and I don't. And, right. and then it gave me a huge measure of comfort to know that they were ushering him into the next life, you know, and I, right. I, I really embraced that because I, I just thought that was such a nice thought, you know. It's, it's beautiful. And you can see that my, what really got the other incident in my life that caused me to be uh, so interested in hospice is in my early nursing career, I'd only been a nurse for maybe a year and I worked on the neurology unit of a hospital and this was back, you know, 23 years ago when AIDS was scary and everybody was afraid they were going to catch it by touching a door handle. Yep. Um, and uh, and this this lovely, lovely young man, big strapping guy um, was I cared for him in the hospital and um, his parents, lovely people were there by his side almost all the time. One of them would spend the night every night. And I worked the night shift and on the night shift, you really have some extra time sometimes to just, you know, sit with people and help them. And I watched this young man die and it was my first hospice experience where, you know, we didn't call a code and try to revive them. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it was the most memorable patient in my entire lifetime, just comforting his family and holding his hand and helping everybody through the process. And it was so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. It really is. And, and we, we all deserve that. I mean, we work hard our whole lives. We pay into the Medicare benefit. We pay for insurance. And the, I think it's a crime that we wait until we're taking our last breath before we call somebody who's an expert. And we, we don't do that with our car. We don't do that with our religion. We don't do that with our physicians. So we need to do that. That makes total sense, actually. And then my last question for you, really, it's, it's a pretty broad one, but I mean, considering again, what you do, what's a really important piece of wisdom that you've learned that you can share with our listeners? Uh, my life has changed since I've been in hospice and it, and it continues to change. I was, um, a lot of my career was spent, um, managing areas. Uh, so like, uh, Phoenix, um, the three states with all their hospice agencies. So up to, you know, 24 agencies. And I was so far away from the patient that it became like, it wasn't special anymore. And hospice is absolutely special. Mm -hmm. So I started looking for something that would get me back to the patient and ended up moving from Spokane, Washington here to Napa because the job was perfect. And I was closer to the patient. And though I don't see patients, I get to be involved in caring for them and making their care the very best. Mm -hmm. um, so since I've been back here in Napa, it's brought back a sense of slow down, just slow down. Mm -hmm. And there really aren't any big problems. There right. really aren't. You know, whatever the problem might be, you're going to put one step in front of the other and figure it out. But it's not, it's not final, right? It's not death. So, and I'm not dealing with somebody that I love that's dying. So, uh, you know, I, I, it just changed, it changed my whole focus on life. It's like, don't sweat the small stuff. Exactly. And, and you're going to have another day. Yes. Right. The wrongs of the days yes. before. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, those petty things that you worry about, or you get all tied up in knots about, they don't bother me anymore. Right. It doesn't matter. Yep. I, I completely understand that. And You've been there. I've been there. done that. Yeah. Um, exactly. Well, I want to thank you so much for having this chat with me. I think it's going to enlighten a lot of people of this mysterious thing called hospice. And, well, thank you. Yeah. And hopefully open people up to having that discussion early enough with people um, and doing that planning ahead of time and learning more what this service can do for people and how it can change family's life and the patient's life. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. No problem. I could talk about this subject for days. So. <laughs> <Great>. I may <laughs> have you back on again then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so All much, right. Michelle, for Thanks inviting so me. Much. It was great. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. 
ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.